Hey, Kachimbonas. I'm really excited to bring you this next episode, which is an interview with undocumented organizer Valeria, who organizes with the California Immigrant Youth. She is uh, from the Peruvian diaspora and I was honored to have her on the podcast to better understand the political situation that recently occurred in Peru where the President Viscato was ousted legislatively in what was ultimately determined to be a coup. And so we kind of got into the, the distinctions, right, between a lawful process and a wrongful taking of power and how people took to their streets in response to that and kind of what what is next for Peru in, the, in improving the electoral process there. If you want to support Radio Cachimbona, you can become a Radio Cachimbona patron for $5 a month. You get two episodes a month. For $10 a month, you get four episodes a month. And... It's really a good time. <laughs> I appreciate y'all's support so, so much, especially during these difficult financial times. I know that y'all work hard for your money and deserve your money. And so just wanted to shout out the patrons who are supporting me from day one. And also shout out that you can support Adekachimona completely free 99 by leaving an apple podcast rating and review thank you to the individual who last left a five-star rating love you it's super helpful to leave a review so that uh, people can see in detail right like why why you're leaving the five stars and so i would really appreciate it if you leave a rating a review um and obviously and subscribe to the podcast you can also on whatever platform you listen to and you can also follow Radio Cachimona on Instagram Twitter and Facebook well hope you all enjoy this interview bye Hello, Cachimbonas. I am very excited today to have Valeria, who's an organizer with SIJA, and uh, here to talk a bit about the political situation in Peru that has been unfolding these past few weeks. But before getting into that, Valeria, I just wanted to ask how you are, ask what your pronouns are, what you've done this week for self-care, and... Uh, if you want to share a bit about the work that you do with SIDJA as well. Yes, for sure. Hi, I'm Valeria. My pronouns are they, she. I am currently the youth coordinator for SIDJA, which is California Immigrant Youth Justice Alliance. I'm actually, this week, it's my week off. <laughs> so it's, uh, oh. thankfully, it aligned <laughs> in a way with everything that is happening back home um, because 
it gave me the opportunity to mm-hmm. like also show up more for folks on the ground and for just family that is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my work with CIDRA is I'm an immigrant rights organizer. So a lot of the work is focused around um, freeing folks from detention centers and just overall pushing for that um, abolition of detention centers, specifically given that we're based in California, um, specifically here, like a statewide, but I think just like ideally, right, like that that will have an impact nationwide. Yeah, definitely. And I know that you all were also helping with someone who's detained in San Luis, which is in Arizona. So you're already increasing your scope even just through fighting for that one individual. Yes, there's been a lot of transfers happening. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we're like many times having to do solidarity work with other folks that are uh, in different parts of other states as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that in this pandemic, jails and prisons and ICE have continued to do transfers, you know, even though that's not necessary. And it's horrific because every transfer is, uh, it creates a risk of exposure to COVID for these folks who are incarcerated. So it's, it's truly awful how, how often they're doing transfers and also the distance from LA to San Luis, you know, Yuma, Arizona, it's very far. Yes, exactly. It's definitely Definitely making it so there's like a spikes happening right now in prisons, jail. Right. Right. And what have you done for self-care this week? So I think the biggest one was definitely take being able to just take this time off. Um, I think that I've been using it to rest a lot um, and just catch up on sleep that I haven't been able to. Uh, this past few weeks mm. but obviously because of everything happening in Peru right now it's definitely still being hard to like catch much sleep and to I think originally I wanted to right. be like off social media but that's been really hard with everything going on so I think definitely self-care has been hard but just right. not having to worry about like work for a week uh, has been really helpful and then just trying to spend time with like my dog <laughs> yeah yeah 100% yeah, it's so important to take those those breaks from work, from, you know, the paid work. You mentioned that you have family in Peru. Are they doing okay? Yes, uh, they're, thankfully, uh, they're thankfully doing okay, given the circumstances. A lot of them did go to protest. Um, many of them were, like, injured, mm-hmm. but thankfully nothing that was, like, completely, like, life-altering as, like, many other folks um, mm. have so thankfully they're okay they're at home now but yeah it was is definitely a hard week for them yeah yeah definitely and you mentioned that you're also doing some on the ground support what have you been doing with that yeah so think like thankfully something that came out of this is that many folks many Peruvians that are here in the diaspora whether that's like mm-hmm. the U.S. or like many other parts of the world uh, have been coming together and we're forming a collective. We're hoping to launch a platform so soon on Instagram. Oh, cool. So that's exciting. We've been having a lot of calls about that. But more specifically, the work that we've been helping uplift is making sure there's donations to folks on the ground. So mm-hmm. we have been gathering funds here uh, through a PayPal and the link is bit.ly slash solidarity pay uh, pe 
So we have been get, gathering a lot of funds on people, making sure that they're being distributed on folks on the ground. A, a handful of folks that are doing work, at, whether at the protests, or like different brigades, or like just gathering like different forms of like COVID protection or making sure that folks can get like cabs home. All of those funds mm. are going to those folks. But we're also, mm. we are ensuring that we're also donating to their families as well. So we have folks that have accounts in Peru. And so we're able mm -hmm. to just do the donation directly to the bank. Because many families in Peru don't have an, an account in the U.S. So they don't have like PayPal or Venmo, right? Uh, so that's how we've been able to, to support mm. folks on the ground, mainly through monetary support and also through helping amplify what's happening because... They were they were really just cutting off mm -hmm. any form of communication in terms of like press and there's like the the big like national news outlets in Peru were not really showing what was happening on the ground so social media was really the main thing that pushed um, and really amplified what's happening on the ground in Peru so mm. this was all done through. Um, through folks in the diaspora really pushing that message. So you mentioned that the media wasn't really showing the on-the-ground work. Is that because the media sector has by and large been taken over or has taken a pro-Marino stance? Many, yeah, many of them have been, and this is this has been for a while now since the previous dictatorship, okay, um, the Fujimori dictatorship. A lot of press has been bought, meaning they uh, don't really like showcase what it's happening on the ground, and they show kind of what the government wants them to show. So, for example. Mm. Um, there was actual footage on social media, um, actual recordings from people that were in the protest showing that cops were tear gassing them, that they were throwing the mm -hmm. tear gas at them, like at their bodies, that they were shooting at them, like shooting at them with like in really like short distance. And all of that was being denied by the press. Like the press was saying, the police are saying this rather than saying what is hap actually happening. So the few news outlets mm -hmm. that were really re like reporting on what's happening on the ground were all independent. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. That totally speaks to the importance of independent media in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. You mentioned COVID. What is the COVID situation in Peru now? And, you know, what do you anticipate the after effects of mm -hmm. these mass protests to be on that front? Yeah. Um, so Peru is the country with highest deaths in the world per capita. Oh, no, I did not know that. Yeah. So we actually and in Latin America, not counting just per capita, but overall in Latin America, we're the second country with most deaths and most COVID mm. cases. So truly, there hasn't been... I think enough efforts, even under President Biscara, Biscara to actually control COVID. Mm -hmm. And that has made it so there has been a lot of deaths. There's been a lot of people that have contracted the virus because mm -hmm. they haven't received a proper uh, support. So they still have to go to work. They still have mm. to do different things. It's still like in order right. to survive. Right. So, yeah. So that that was already that the COVID rates were really high before the protest. Mm -hmm. I have seen through 
like this footage in the protest and through like hearing from protesters, I know that everyone was wearing like proper equipment when they went to the protest. Oh, amazing. Mm-hmm. So like always like face masks for many of them had face shields as well. But um, I definitely would not be surprised if the the if there is a spike in it despite the amount of care that went into it just because the the protests were like the largest than that the nation had seen in in 20 years so i would i do think there was a lot of people in the streets and i actually think that says a lot about what people were willing to do because people knew that going in the streets where there was a lot of other people, men risking their lives on top of the police brutality, on top of everything mm-hmm. else. And they still said, I'll rather go out and protest and like fight for my life really and risk getting COVID than mm-hmm. standing by like this president and everything else that's happening. Right. I'm hearing resonances to what we saw in the U.S. over the summer in reaction to George Floyd. Just, mm-hmm. yes, COVID cases are raging, but, you know, collectively people reach a point where they feel the need to take mm-hmm. to the streets. And the, you know, like the the potential for death exists in many forms um, in the U.S. and in Peru. And so people are measuring, yes, the 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 danger that can come from COVID against oh the danger that can come from this dictatorship if Marino is allowed mm-hmm. to stay. Yes, definitely. That's exactly what happened. So I wanted to ask a bit about the backstory to how Medino came into power um, because I thought this was a bit interesting in that it was the legislators that voted the prior president Vescara out. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of interesting because the legislation, the legislative branch is usually the most democratic branch. And so wanted to get your insight into what is the backstory for what happened here? What, what led up to this? Yeah, so there is a Congress, there's who there were 105 Congress folks that voted for the vacancy to get Vizcarra out. Um, so there's 105 that are called the golpistas. Mm-hmm. So those are the people that stood by the vacancy. Mm-hmm. 65 out of those 105 folks um, are people that have like are current investigations and charges against different things, including corruption and, and theft and many other charges um, there. So that that's why there was this also this big uproar because the same folks that were like saying Biscara should not be in power because he's currently being uh, investigated for these things um, were also the people voting for to have the vacancy and it was on the on the the point of like immoral conduct uh, so mm-hmm. there's this there's this thing in Peru that basically you can vacate a president if he shows immoral conduct and there's no, and there's this, and it's very, but I think it gets really dangerous because they just need enough votes and then it can happen. But usually there has to be an investigation and process that can actually show that. And that's, that's the thing where it lacked that, the actual people, like the investigation hadn't hadn't had, like it started to the point that, 
had a strong result. So that's why there was this big uproar because people were like, yes, we want an investigation mm-hmm. on the charges that President Vizcarra is facing, but we don't want him out right now when there's there was there's already elections in place for April. And the, the, like I mentioned, like there was already a lot of instability because of COVID, because of like the economy, because of plenty of other things. So on mm. top of that, they didn't need a president to be like changed in the middle of this, right? And so that's that's the reason behind the vacancy. And right. I think that uh, there's a lot of things that are going around in terms of why the people voted for the vacancy. And I think it had to lo- a lot to do with the 65 people who did not want their investigations that to happen um, against them. They didn't want to lose power. Um, President Vizcarra was not backing them up in the sense that he wasn't protecting them. He wasn't trying to stop uh, any of the investigations happening. So because of that, I think mm. they were like, we're just going to vote you out um, through the vacancy. Okay. And when you say offering protection, do you mean like from these investigations into theft and corruption that had been ongoing for these 65 senators? Yes. Yeah, so something that happened, um, that has just been happening in in Peruvian uh, government is that previous presidents that have had a lot of charges around corruption and things like that usually protect their own. Mm-hmm. So, for example... People within the legislator, legislature. Yeah, yes, exactly. So that also have any form of corruption charge or something like that. So something that has been happening is that previous presidents tend to just not start the investigation or push against the investigation or things like that, that in a way is protecting the legislators that have different type of like charges against them. So this time around, Vizcarra didn't do that. Um, They didn't actually protect any of them. Uh, And I think that's a very reason why they voted for the the vacancy because they were really trying to save themselves. Mm. And Vizcarra was also facing charges of corruption that he had essentially been bribed in giving out government contracts. Yes, yes. So that that's the charges that he was he's still facing right now, even though he's not president. Uh, he still has to go. There's an investigation in process for it, uh, and he still has to go to trial for that. So it's an ongoing investigation, and yeah, those are the charges he's facing. So what is the procedure for the time period in between a president being accused and investigated and then the conclusion of the investigation? So is it normal that a president would be ousted during this investigation? Because I'm thinking of how during impeachment hearings, the president still sits. So is that not the case in Peru? Mm -hmm. So I think that... How they were able to do that the vacancy for him was through that immoral conduct, like claw that they like cause that they had there. So through that, that's how they were able to vacate him. So it wasn't specifically under the investigations, and there was no clause really oh. that said you have to like the president has to stay while the investigations are happening. So for example, there's. Uh, presidents who have been investigated and have continued the investigation has happened after the, their period has ended. Uh, that has happened too. Mm-hmm. So their political term. Yeah. So there's some people that have stayed in their office. Yeah. 
Well, okay. What do you have insight into why Viscata did not get that privilege? Oh, well, Viscata was because they, it was because they specifically vacated him. So they voted to vacate him to like do that, like have the vacancy. Um, and under the clause of immoral conduct versus under like the investigations piece. So they weren't saying like, oh, you're being investigated, so he must be out. They were just saying like, well, he has a moral character. Um, and they, what I, I think a big ask that people were saying was like, uh, we need to wait until the investigations actually show proof of what he's done. But because they had the votes, they didn't have to do it. And I think something that folks don't right. know is that this is this was actually the second time that they tried doing it. Okay, yeah. I was going to ask, is this clause used often? You know, this like immoral code. I can remember it has been used in the past, but I did want to say that this is... This was the second time that they tried to do the vacancy and the second time they were successful. A couple of months ago, I want to say, I can't remember the month exactly. I think it was August, maybe September. I think my having August or September that it was a similar situation where they were voting for the vacancy and they didn't get enough votes. So Escarra continued as president and then they found another mm -hmm. charge and then did the same thing. Okay. What was the first charge? It was it, it was all under corruption, but it was just like they found different things that came up. Um, it was all under charges of corruption and and same of like giving bribes. And I think that on the second one, they found or the one that led to the second vacancy was that um, I think they found more footage of something that he had done. Um, Prior to, prior to him being president, but it's still what he was an elected official. Mm -hmm. And so then the Viscata was ousted and because it was done under this, this clause of immorality, then he could automatically be vacated. And then that is when Marino stepped into power? Yes. And how did how like how did that come about? So it was given that he already had a position um, in power already in Congress, so it, like the next one in, in lead would be him. Um, okay. So yeah. So, but then that's why people were saying that he kind of like barely made it to to Congress in the first place in terms of votes, like he didn't get a majority of votes or anything like that the first time. Um, he kind of barely made it to Congress and then he ended up being president. So it was more under... A for four days. Yeah, <laughs> for, yeah, literally for about, like it was literally less than a week. Why are people now requesting a new constitution? So I think something that is important to know is that it is not everyone that is requesting a new constitution. Um, okay. I think there's, def there's definitely people on the ground that are. And from what I've heard, it seems like it might be like about 25% of folks that are requesting it. Uh, why I personally see a need to it, and many folks that are also here that I'm like part of the collective within the diaspora also see a need for a new constitution, is that the current constitution is from 93 and it, that was under the Fujimori dictatorship. So mm. this constitution has different laws and clauses that make it so they protect 
corruption. So, for example, there's this thing currently called parliamentary immunity that makes it so mm. that Congress folks cannot be tried or put on trial for different things. And right now, that's a thing that people are currently protesting and asking against uh, to get rid of parliamentary immunity, because if they get rid of parliamentary immunity, then the, the 105 Congress folks can actually be tried for voting for the vacancy and supporting the coup. So uh, there's different, and that's all part mm. of the constitution, right? So this, the reason why asking for a new constitution is because this constitution already comes from a time of a dictatorship that it wasn't really at all for the people. And it, was, it wasn't looking specifically to support marginalized communities, black, indigenous, uh, LGBTQ folks. So there's this need for a new constitution. And I also think, that seeing Chile be able to um, actually pass this legislation in order to get a new constitution was, I think, really shocking for Peru to see, and it was pushing more people to want one. Because this ask for a new constitution is not new. It's been ongoing. It's just it's gained more popularity and under this uprising. Um, I think the majority of things that people agree with is that they want a constitution, a, a constitution assembly, and constituent assembly, sorry. Um, and this constituent assembly uh, will mm. actually represent mm -hmm. the people. Um, so we'll have different people from different communities that are usually not represented, like again, meaning black, indigenous, LGBTQ folks, mm -hmm. uh, who will actually then they can come together and see if they want to do have it's either to reform the current constitution or create a new constitution. But I do see that there's this big push for a constituent assembly. Mm. And I'm curious as to if there are kind of larger structural issues that people have with the constitution because a legislator being able to vote out a president in this way is a very large issue, but I'm wondering if, since the ask isn't, let's just take that one thing out, but it's, we want a whole new constitution, if there's a lot of imagining happening about what is going to be incorporated into that. Yes, I think, because it's not simply, right, like the parliamentary immunity or the be able to back right. a precedent on an immoral on the basis of like immorality. I think there's a lot of things because again, like I mentioned, this constitution was created to uphold a very specific part of the population that is like the rich and the wealthy and under uh, dictatorship. So it doesn't really speak for the people. So I think that's why there's this piece right now where now that people have been able to see the amount of power they have and they were able to um, get rid of a dictator in six days, people are like, we can actually ask for more. So I think that's why right. there's this push of we want a constitution assembly, a constituent assembly that actually represents the people that actually has our voices in mind. And again, I think that this has been an ongoing thing that is coming from seeing Chile be able to get one, seeing um, the amount of repression that happened during the uprising, seeing like, like how Peru has been in terms of like just complete crisis economically, um, a public health crisis through COVID, 
and different other things that the community has just been fed up that they're like, we need to start anew. And I think that might look like a reform or it might look like a new constitution. But I do think people are like, we need to be at the center of it versus continuously um, having like voting for more mm -hmm. new people that will not represent them again. Right. So I think there's been this mistrust for the government that has been building up for decades now. Uh, and I think it's boiling into this thing of like, we really need a constituent assembly that speaks for us. Mm. That's really exciting. Mm. So Marino resigned and then now Sagasti has been appointed as the current president. Yes. And it's in... Al Jazeera, they state that Sagasti's Monado party voted against Viscata's impeachment, and that's the main reason he was elected as the new president of Congress. Do you agree with that? Yes, exactly. Um, they, I, the people definitely wanted someone that wasn't part of the golpista, so part of the people that voted for the vacancy, so that's mm -hmm. why they had to go with someone that hadn't voted for it. Mm. And I've been kind of, I've been thinking about what at what point a, an administration engages in a coup, um, you know, especially because of Trump's refusal mm -hmm. to resign um, and refusal to concede the election of Biden and strong arming the Biden transition team and not allowing them to start their work. Mm -hmm. This this vote was constitutionally allowed. Uh, so at what point did things turn such that Marino unjustifiably took power? Mm -hmm. I think that it has to do with one, the amount of like the, the 65, that is like a big chunk of why this, this vote was actually able to pass. Mm -hmm. uh, we're already under charges, right? So I think that they shouldn't have had allowed to vote in it in the first place um, mm. for a, like to vacate a president that had the same charges as them. Mm -hmm. And I think that once Benino came to power, there was already like conversations of like, this is a coup. This is a legislative coup, which is a little different than what we see in other places. So I think that, um, right. but f there was talk of this a legislative coup. And then I think once it came very like, like to the front that this is a dictatorship and it's a, uh, fascist government was when the protest started and then repression immediately mm -hmm. started and the, there was a lot I of police see. brutality there was a lot of the, like I mentioned the media being clearly bought to say what the president wanted them to say um, or um, what the rest of the government mm -hmm. wanted to say so very much uh, different pieces that came together to be like this is very much a coup that is happening in front of our eyes so I think that it had a lot to do with what happened once Merino came into power. And then also the fact that there was no one that to be even be held accountable for a lot of the atro atrocities that happened, um, especially in the first days, because there wasn't even a Ministro del Interior, mm -hmm. which is the one that would be in charge of like um, actually telling the police mm -hmm. what to do, right? Or like arm, in general armed forces. And there wasn't one in charge. So there wasn't one to report to beyond Merino, right? Um, especially for like the wounded and the 
the people that were missing at that point as well. And is that because once a president is vacated, then also any administrative appointees that he's made also go with him or her or them? <laughs> yeah, it had to be. So him and his entire cabinet. Okay. Had to okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. So there was just total instability. There was, it was no, no structure and, this intense repression that was were, were the were the repressive decisions kind of localized military decisions then the one the first day before the the first like the minister was selected which i think it must have been about a day a full day before he was officially selected the decisions were really coming from first like the police by themselves but also because there was no one else to hold him accountable we had to hold accountable the president um president merino at that time because he was like the police were saying we're just receiving orders and we knew that the only one that could have been giving orders was merino mm. right right well and i guess yeah i guess or do you going forward? Do you feel confident in uh, the stability of Peru's political process? I think it's hard to say. Um, I do think and really hope that elections is still happening in April. Um, but um, mm -hmm. I also know that Peru needs a lot more than just a round of elections. Um, it's not simply about electing people. So I really do hope right. there's a push for a constituent assembly um, that will rewrite entirely the constitution or that will at least reform it at the very minimum. So I think that until that happens, I I think there's gonna be this right. loop that will continue um, of entering government to then another government to then another one and then a coup. Um, it's been a loop that has been happening almost every 20 years. So I I hope that this mm. changes, especially because um, this generation that is called La Generación del Bicentenario, because it's been 200 years since Peru was is like freed or founded. Or established, yeah. <laughs> then that this generation, I think, will hopefully fight for something different. But I'm definitely worried that it will be co-opted by politicians that don't necessarily want um, what's best for the people. So mm -hmm. I do think there's still a lot of worry there that I don't really know what will happen. But I do have a lot of faith in folks on folks on the ground that are still pushing, that are still taking the streets even after Sagasti has already come into power. They know that it doesn't end here. And I think something that has mobilized a lot of folks as well is seeing the deaths of India and Brian, who should have never had to die um, for going to a protest. Um, right. So I think it's definitely, I think, radicalized a lot of folks. So I, that gives me hope um, that things can really change. But definitely, I am not certain. Right. Well, Valeria, thank you so much for bringing your insight to the podcast. This is a really important issue that we can't just brush under the rug and treat like a one-day news cycle event. Uh, we'll be thinking about and uh, watching the developing political process in Peru and hope to have you back on the podcast again soon. For sure. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you.